What's good, guys? It's your host, Adrian Evans. Welcome to the Black Wealth Media Podcast, where we dive into the stories of black entrepreneurs and we talk about how we can create wealth and build legacy within the black community. Let's get into this episode. We good? <clears throat> yeah, it had me grow up when you went for the intro. I was like, I don't know what was going on. So I'm glad we in there. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, guys. Welcome to the Black Book Media Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Evans. I'm going to have a special guest. His name is David J. Butler. He's a creative, a serial entrepreneur, and an artist as well. Um, David, how's it going, man? It's going good. Cool. Hey, man, thank you for having me on the platform. I appreciate it. It's blessed to be here. Happy to be here. So thanks for having me. No problem, man. I appreciate you for, you know, uh, just taking the opportunity and I appreciate you for just coming up here. You know what I'm saying? Um, so tell me, man, like, you know, let's start from the beginning. You know, what was it like growing up as David J. Butler? Um, it was, I would say, a pretty standard upbringing, you know what I mean, by most standards. Um, you know, I grew up relatively middle class. Um, I did lose my father at a very young age, uh, you know, around five years old, he passed away in a house fire. Um, but, you know, other than that, my mom worked really hard to make, make sure me and my sister had everything we needed. So, you know, I went to a private Christian school down here in Charlotte, um, you know, for most of my, um, most of my time. Um, I lived in Michigan for a little bit, uh, like late middle school, early high school, stayed in uh, Pontiac, Michigan. It's like 40 miles north of Detroit. Uh, I played a lot of basketball. Um, you know, I played organized basketball from the age of three all the way through uh, high school. And I played three years of varsity soccer in high school as well. So um, pretty standard, man. A lot of video games, a lot of sneakers, a lot of sports and, you know, all of those, all of those types of things that everybody can kind of relate to. So, um, yeah, man. Yeah, that's cool, man. You said you played soccer. I actually played soccer as well. That was actually the first sport that I played. And then I got into football and basketball. So that's pretty dope. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. That's what's up. Sure. Um, so tell me, man, like, you know, how did the, the loss of your father impact your life, you know, to where it is today? Yeah, man, a lot of a lot of different ways, man. I think um, I mean, I was definitely surrounded by a lot of coaches, uh, uncles, father figures. Uh, my home, my homies, fathers were always around. You know what I'm saying? So I definitely didn't have didn't have a lack of real male role models at all. My mom was always making sure that I had, you know, positive male influences in my life. So, um, you know. You start to, you know, as you get older, you start to just really um, mature and wonder because it was such an unfortunate circumstance. And, you know, my dad was an educator and, uh, you know, a well-known member of the community. So, you know, you start to wonder as you get older, how do you contribute to that legacy? You wonder what things, you know, I mean, you might have learned coming straight from him. But, you know, his legacy was strong. Um, they named the high school after him here in Charlotte, uh, which has been a blessing. Um, and uh, yeah, man, so I'm just kind of constantly contributing, trying to contribute to that legacy and, you know, do my part to keep the Butler name strong, you know, especially in, in North Carolina, Charlotte, Salisbury area. Um, so, yeah, bro, it's, it's, it's motivated me as I've gotten older and I realized the impact of what, it's, what it means to have a school, his name on it as I've gotten older. Um, but, you know, I can't really, again, I can't really say that there, I really felt like there was any gaps until, you know, I started to coming to myself as a man and then, you know, start to wonder and want that kind of like specific guidance. Um, but again, I always had male role models. I had a lot of coaches like my, my coach Williams in Michigan was like super instrumental, my middle school basketball coach, you know what I mean? And raising me in those adolescent years. 
So I had a lot of influence, but you know, you start to think about, uh, you know, what is it? Just wanting to have those conversations that some folks, uh, you know, have the have the ability to be able to have with their old man. You know what I mean? I didn't really, um, you know, even my, my grandfather passed in '94, my dad passed in '97, and um, you know, my my grandmother, uh, she was married. I think maybe her second husband. He had uh, a stroke. You know what I mean? When I was real young. So it, was, it wasn't really too many older gentlemen directly around. It was a lot of strong black women, um, you know, doing what they had to do to raise, you know, and keep our family together. So um, it's impacted me in a lot of ways, but honestly, it's been um, more of a blessing and more more positive and a silver lining than it has been, you know, negative because of that. You know what I'm saying? It's because of the disposition of my family and whatnot. So it's been good. Okay. Well, it hasn't been good, but it's yeah, been, I got you. It's, it, there's a silver lining to it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. As much um, as there could be, as much positivity there as there could be. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Um, so tell me, man, like you, it seems like you were heavily involved in sports, especially basketball. Um, how did you make that transition from being, you know, an all-around athlete to a creative? Man, it got. I mean, you get to the point where, and honestly, before I was even really leaning into the creative stuff, creative creativity didn't really like catch my attention until, like, formally until college. So. You know, ball, ball was life until it wasn't, right? Like, I got, um, despite being, you know, a very, uh, you know, a very strong player and a very strong athlete, you know, I was, I went to a very competitive school as far as basketball is concerned, a very guard-heavy school. So, you know, my my junior year, I got cut. And, um, you know, coming off of uh, playing, I played a year of JV, you know, at, uh, at my high school down here, and I played a year of JV uh, at my high school in Michigan, but um, my high school in Michigan, my first year, I lost half the season, more than half the season, just because of my grades. Yeah. So my freshman year of high school GPA was like a 1.8, and that's when my mom moved me back down here to stay with my grandmother in Charlotte, and I went back to my old high school, and um, you know I played, you know I led the team there, starting point guard. But then going into my junior year, like they had seniors, you know what I mean, and juniors that were getting recruited and whatnot. So, um, you know, I was forced to think about other things. And that's when I picked up, you know, soccer, got into the love of soccer. Um, and uh, yeah, man, so, it, you know, sports kind of phased this way out of my life uh, towards those years. And I was I really fell in love with business, honestly, before even touching really creativity, like my, my junior year, really, really more so my senior year, even I was playing basketball my senior year, business really, really caught my eye headed into college and that would lead into creativity. So it wasn't like a, a smooth transition it was a process without a doubt um to get from one thing into the other yeah now i know for you know most athletes that when it comes to the sports and you know trying to just take a different path you know outside of that um it's kind of hard just to just go back to being a regular person um would you say you had that same problem not really man because I, I was so young and i have you know i really you, you make that decision, right? And, you know, my mom asked me after I got cut, she was like, do you want to transfer? You know what I mean? Like, I know how much you love basketball. You know, I spent my whole life going to camps and, you know, you know, playing organized playing organized basketball. So she was like, you know, do you want to transfer and try and find another school where you can play and potentially set yourself up for, for college and whatnot? You know what I mean? And um, I mean, at that point, I made the decision that, you know, it was just it was more important for me to be around my core group of friends that I, was, that I grew up with. And, you know, I always had another opportunity in my senior year. And, um, you know, so it wasn't really tough. Uh, you know, for me, it wasn't really a thing where I felt like I was missing out on anything. I was so caught up in all the other kind of like social parts of, of being a teenager that, you know, um, you know, I just made the decision that, you know, I'm going to just you know, live life and give it another shot, you know, the next year and try and figure out what was going to happen with college from there. But I, I honestly, I was so focused on just kind of trying to 
you know, get to the next level in terms of like moving forward and seeing what life had to offer that like it, it wasn't too much of a blow. Like my identity wasn't formed through basketball as much as I love the sport. You know, a lot of times I think that's what happens with athletes early, early on. You know, you play at a super competitive high level and your identity becomes shaped around the sport. So for me, I was blessed enough to have enough experiences and to be around enough people um, that like I didn't feel like that was my only option to be able to make something shake. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I, I didn't I wouldn't say I really, really struggled with it. It was something that was always been my first love, always will be. Um, you know, it's, it's just dope. You know, I went hoping I hoped uh, Saturday for the first time in a long time or yeah, this past Saturday. And, um, you know, most of the homies at this point, they only know me as a creative. So, you know, for me to get out there and drop a couple buckets on them, they was just like, wait a minute. You know what I mean? Like, hold on, Dave, we thought you was just a photographer, bro. We know you could, could do this. So, um, yeah, bro, it's always something that I'm still be passionate about. It's part of my identity, but it was never my total identity. So that opened me up to be able to do some other things relatively easily and kind of look for other opportunities to express myself. That's fire. I like that you said that, you know, basketball wasn't your identity because what you said is very true. A lot of athletes, they just, you know, ball this life and basketball is who they are. Um, so I like that you didn't make it who you were, you know what I'm saying? So that's pretty dope, man. Um, so, you know, talk to us about your love for business and where it came from and, you know, how you kind of got into that space. Nah, for sure. So um, I really got exposed to it really my senior year. So two major events. One, I was a part of a program called Campus Connections, um, RIP Mr. Gerald Barkham. Um, he started a program called Campus Connections. It was a faith-based organization that took uh, students to historically black colleges all up the east, up and down the eastern seaboard. Yeah. It's based in Charlotte, and we had students from North and South Carolina that were a part of it. And uh, we had this joint that was called Major Day um, every year. So basically, the top majors from each school would come in and talk about those departments, and you would have a chance to talk to department heads and that kind of a thing, and recruiters and all of that. So um, Winston-Salem State Business Department came in, you know what I'm saying, and um, their presentation really just caught my eye and I feel like, okay, I might go into business. Like, I feel like that's a major that, that I could could get into. At the time, I was very interested in barbering. Um, my original plan was to go to go to, uh, go to to get my undergraduate degree and then go back and do cosmetology school for two years and then open up like a chain of barbershops. Um, so I knew that like, you know, uh, and that's another thing, just when you talk about like, you know, the influence of my dad not being around or the impact of having positive male, uh, male influence. My mom used to drop me off at the barbershop. This was back in the day before all the scheduling apps and all that kind of stuff. My mom would just drop me off at the barbershop. So I'd just be in there waiting to get my hair cut. And, um, you know, the barbers, they took care of me. They looked out for me. They asked me about my grades, asked me how basketball was going. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, that that always played, it always stuck with me, you know what I'm saying, as a place for like male camaraderie, specifically black males. And um, so I was like, dang, I think I could open up something like this when I get older. And uh, that was the plan originally. So I was thinking about like, okay, maybe I'll open a barbershop, gotta go get a business degree. So that caught my eye. And then too, my senior year, I was a part of a program called Junior Achievement. So crazy enough, I, I did end up hooping my senior year, but um, I got cut for my senior year originally. And um, then I got ended up getting called back. And the time that I was cut from the team, my, um, my economics teacher saw me uh, build a fan section. So I built the fan section from scratch with like some of the student council. Yeah. I wasn't on student council, but I, you know, I used their, you know, influence and organization to be able to help give us a legitimate fan section for basketball games. So my economics teacher saw me and she was like, yo, like you got like some leadership qualities and capabilities. People listen to you, you're influential, you speak well, like 
you should consider, you know, um, running for president of this junior achievement company that we got to do next semester. And at this point, I'm like, man, I'm just trying to graduate. This is my last semester of high school. You know what I mean? I, I'm, my, my high school GPA was only a 2.7, 2.8. You know, I'm thinking about college at this point. I'm thinking about I'm going to Winston it was the only school I applied to. So it was like, you know, I'm just trying to get out of here. You know, I'm trying to buy my time, get out of here. Soccer season's over. Basketball season is, you know what I'm saying, is in the midst. I'm trying to get up out of here. And she, you know, she really, you know, we had a couple of conversations about that. So I thought about it, and then it was time for us to to start that junior achievement program in our in our economics class, and we had to build a business from scratch. So we had to vote on a CEO, we had to vote on a VP of marketing, VP of sales, we had a whole executive team, and we ended up selling these like desk caddies, um, you know, that, that had like a little picture frame, if you put like their pins in it, had like a little clock on it, and we came up with a name. We were uh, the name of the company was Surge Students United and Responsible Group Enterprises, um, and. Uh, I ran for president of that company, and I really honestly feel like I only got, my boy Kanan was already student, student body president, yeah. and he ran against me for, for president of the company, and I feel like people voted for me out of spite because they just didn't like <laughs> want Kanan to be president twice, for real. So <laughs> I feel like that's how I won, um, but you know, we'll, we'll take it. And um, yeah, so I ended up being president of the surge, bro, and that really opened my eyes up because we had to build a legitimate business and we could make money off of these desk caddies, you know what I'm saying? And the school was attached to a church. So, you know, you go through the church and you slanging these things, you know what I mean? Trying to get people to buy your desk caddies and you got people filling out order forms and, you know, we tracking revenue and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we had to place orders with the manufacturer. It was a whole thing. You know, I, I went into the, I went into the, um, I went to a BB&T um, off Oakdale Road and I, um, I opened up the company bank account and like I wore a suit and like, it just like was innate to me. It was like one of these things where it's like, oh, I'm going to the bank, I got to throw a suit on so they take me serious. Like it was just a whole thing. And um, yeah, bro, it was just that, that light bulb moment for me. I was like, yo, like, I think I really, you know, I gave a presentation in front of the whole church. It was probably 1500 people at the time, almost 2000 people, 2500 people somewhere in there. And, um, you know, the presentation went really well. I just, you know, gave an announcement about, you know, what the company was about, what we were selling. You know, they could get in contact with our sales reps out in the foyer, like that kind of thing. You know, I had a suit on and all that. And, um, I got a lot of positive reinforcement from that. A lot of people after after the service were like, hey, you spoke really well. You know, I hope, you know, you're going to be a dope businessman one day, this, that, and the third. So I got a lot of positive reinforcement from that. And um, it kind of lit a fire under me, bro. And as I was going into Winston, I knew I was going to be focused and determined to have a different experience at, at college than I had at, at, at high school and, and throughout, you know, school up until that point. So that's when I, that's when I, that's when some business really caught my eye for it. Man, that's a fire story that, you know, that like, just going through that, you know, that preps you for running your own actual business in the future. And so my next question to you is, man, like when you got into Winston-Salem State, shout out to the Rams, because I'm a Rams. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. When you got into Winston-Salem State, man, what was that experience like for you? And, and what did you major in? Yeah, so I majored in management um, and it was a dope experience, bro. It was honestly really divine. You know, I really feel like, uh, if you look at my story and if I was able to tell people the details of my story, you know, despite everything that I've been through, you know, God has played a really strong hand in my life and in my in my ability to be in the right place at the right time. It's all been divine intervention. So there was a guy that I went to high school with that, um, you know, was already at Winston. And, um, you know, he was a part of the honors program and whatnot. And I, like I said, I didn't have the highest GPA coming out of school. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I got into Winston, I didn't have no scholarship money, you know, grants, loans, the whole thing. Or loans, really, more so anything, not even grants. Yeah. But um, I didn't get no scholarship money until later. Um, but yeah, so I, I went to Open House, and he introduced me. Um, the homie introduced me to um, 
you know, the director of the honors program. And uh, he was like, hey, this is, you know, David Butler. You know, he's a kid from my hometown. We went to the same school. And he was like, yo, he's got, uh, you know, he, he's a good kid. He just needs an opportunity to really prove himself, um, you know what I mean? And, and to show that, you know, what he's capable of doing. So if there's any way, you know, we could sign him up for anything or help help him out with anything, you know, it would be dope. And uh, Dr. Montgomery, who was the director of the honors program at the time, she was like, yeah, well, we, you know, we can put him in ASAP and see how he does. And then we'll see how, you know, what relationship we can develop from there. So I went to the honor summer advancement program and I was basically in this bridge program. I had to pay like three hundred, four hundred dollars. And I was in this program with a bunch of kids or students that were incoming freshmen as well. But they were all chancellor scholars. So they all getting ready to go to school on full rides. And they had like it was an enrichment program. Um, we took enrichment courses. Uh, we went on a, a cultural excursion to D.C. and we stayed on campus for like three weeks. And um, I, would, I did that program. That's where I met my best friends in school, uh, my boys, Trey and A.B., um, that we were roommates during that program. And, you know, that that was, you know, when I started forging those lifelong bonds with those guys. And um, that program really opened me up and got me ready to be on campus, bro. And it let me know that I could really do the things that I thought I could do. You know what I'm saying? Like it proved something to me. And that was right. That we got on campus before everybody else got on campus. So this is during the summer, like yeah. in between senior year, and freshman year. So, yeah, bro, I got into that program and that gave me the confidence to go into freshman year because I was used to the campus. I had already been there for about a month. Um, and then so by the time we came in, um, you know, I was ready to rock and roll. I was like, it's no way I'm not going to be one of those guys on campus. Like I'm going to uh, turn up because I, I felt like I had a new lease on life. You know what I mean? My GPA was starting over. You know what I mean? I had got into this program, you know what I mean? Through the grace of God and through, through you know, through having good relationships. And um, I was just fired up, bro. I was focused. Yeah. I was focused. And that carried me. That momentum carried me all through my experience at Winston, bro. So I got there. I was freshman class president. I was sophomore class president. I was president of a, a business fraternity, possibly Epsilon, professional fraternity my junior year. Um, or my sophomore year going into my junior year. And then I pledged Alpha my junior year. And then I graduated as student body president and graduated with honors, bro. And, um, you know, I really got the most out of my college experience yeah. and my HBCU experience. I did everything I could while I was there. Um, I, I worked for my uh, professor's media company, um, Dr. Will Boone. I worked for his media company and did all his merchandising. So that's when the creativity started to really flow around that, like, sophomore year is when I really started to see, like, okay, like, this creative thing, I got an opportunity to do that, too. And my grades and stuff was kind of on lock because business was, like, an innate thing for me. So I'm getting a business degree, but, like, I feel like I'm taking, like, a, a vocabulary test. Like, I feel like I'm just learning new vocabulary. I'm learning new concepts, and I'm, I'm getting the formal language for things that already felt right. Like, things that I just kind of took, like, the natural, like, next step or things that I would know. And, um, you know, I also had the blessing of being able to take, I had an accounting class in high school. So when I got to my accounting courses, it was like more of a refresh than it was like, you know, me having to learn accounting as a concept for the first time. Yeah. So it's kind of all these little, little things that just like business was like an innate thing for me, bro. So because the classroom was on autopilot, it allowed for me to take care of all of these other things outside of class. And like I said, that's when the creativity started to kick in. I've always been in the sneakers and streetwear. So designing T-shirts was or working to figure out how to design T-shirts and print T-shirts was was cool. Um, I helped run a brand on campus. I was marketing director for a clothing company called United Nation. Um, that, that happened after my, you know, working for my professor's media company. The homie saw me doing that and was like, yo, like, you know, the homie's running this brand. You should come help him out. So, you know, I hopped on that. And bro, I did a little bit of everything, man. It was yeah. fire. I, I, like Winston was an amazing experience. Um, faculty, staff, it was a, it was just dope, bro. And I really leaned into it and made the most of it and really ins inserted myself into the campus and into the culture 
And, um, you know, again, through the blessing of having, you know, good relationships and um, taking care of my business and, and um, you know, making a name for myself early on. Um, it made my matriculation super easy and super dope. So I know I've been ranting, but I get super oh, excited when I talk about that you college good. experience, bro. Hey. That was very formative, bro. That was very formative. It yeah. made me, it made me, it made me in who I am today. So I'm, I'm super grateful for that. Yeah, hey, that's solid. I agree with you, man. Um, what, what year did you graduate? I think you graduated. 20, Thirteen. 20, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I graduated yeah. 2015. So. Um, okay, gotcha. I, I was heavily involved in, you know, like Black Men for Change. And big, big shout out yep. to Doc, Dr. Boone because he was heavily involved in that. And he yeah, is like sure. a super dope individual. So um, I already know, I already know the excitement, man. I understand. Like, yeah, that yeah, was a, that was a dope school, Mississippi State. Um, yeah, man. But yeah, man, you know, talk to me about the Hugh House. And um, matter of fact, talk to me about, you know, your photography business and how you got into a photography and then you know how you were able to create the other businesses like the Hugh House mm-hmm. and, and the Block. Um, you know yep. how did that start for you? Got you. So um, my prof- my professional career, or you know my working career, has been um, something that was rooted definitely in my experience in Winston, like I mentioned before. Um, I got into photography originally. So I, I fast forward or not fast forward, rewind to my childhood. I had always been taking pictures. Yeah. I'd always just been snapping photos, right? Whether it was like a Polaroid we had laying around the house or, you know, disposable cameras that had like two, three shots left of them from like a birthday party or, um, you know, then once I got like in like middle school, my mom bought me a digital camera. Yeah. And, you know, at that time, you know, you posted stuff on like MySpace and Black Planet and that kind of thing. And then she bought me a, I know that one broke and she bought me a new one for Christmas when I was in high school. So I was documenting all those trips that I was going on, campus connections, like Facebook was, was just, had just opened it up to high schoolers and all that stuff during that time. So, you know, I was, um, I was always documenting life, you know what I mean? And making little videos and doing stuff, stuff that I didn't even realize was really creative. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I was just, you know, using technology, you being a kid, you got stuff around, you just doing stuff. Right. Yeah. So I got to college was doing much of the same documenting stuff that was going on. And then, um, one of my big homies, the same big homie actually that put me on with the honors program, he got a DSLR. And that's when the light bulb went off like, oh snap, like photography really is a thing. Like yeah. there's more than just to photography than just the point and shoot that I carry around every day. I could get a legitimate camera. So one of the things that I did while I was in school as well was I, I interned at the Department of Energy um, down in uh, Aiken, South Carolina. Um, Savannah Riverside, my sophomore year going into my junior year. And uh, I had an internship. It was through the Thurgood Marshall College Fund. I was down there for a couple of weeks and we was making really good money, but our housing and stuff was taken care of and all of that. So I took one of my checks and I just went to Best Buy and just like bought a DSLR. I bought like the cheapest entry level Canon T3 plastic DSLR with a kit lens. And I got back to campus and I just started snapping photos, bro. Like I just, you know what I mean? Once I got back to campus that after that summer, I was taking photos, just document what was going on on campus. like covering events, you know what I'm saying, shooting concerts, everything that was happening on campus, I was taking photos of. Then I learned about, you know, just different lenses and started to perfect, you know, just kind of my eye. And, um, you know, then I started charging people for headshots. You know what I mean? Graduation photos, taking um, photos for people, uh, for like all the fraternities and sororities for like their website, all that kind of stuff. So I was like, dang, okay. Like I done built a little brand and a name for myself. And this camera is helping me keep a little extra change in my pocket. You know what I mean? I'm being creative. I'm posting the Tumblr. You know what I mean? I'm using, you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just, I'm in a vibe. I'm in a real good energy. And, um, you know, then it got, it got time to be ready to graduate. And um, I originally, bro, I wasn't going, 
I wasn't going to uh, to apply for no jobs. Like I was kind of, honestly, I was kind of spent. Like because I did so much in those four years, bro, I was like tired. I was like, y'all done worked my hardest these four years. I done graduated with honors. I done turned my whole, you know, my, turned my life around, turned the situation around, you know, um, you know, stepped into this success. And it's like, I want to take some time off. Like, I don't really want to do anything. I had like 1500 200 two, I mean, 15, yeah, 1500 $2,000 in my bank account. And I was like, bro, I'm going to just go kick it, like sleep on the homie's couch or something. And then just like take my camera and just see what I run into. But um, again, just divine intervention. It wasn't my time to really like break out just like that. Just yet. So, you know, I had a job with Coca-Cola literally fall on my lap. I had, um, you know, the, the uh, director of honors, I mean, the director of the, um, what's it called? The... Uh, like the professional development office or whatever um career services that's yeah. what they call the director of career services at winston literally called me and said she said hey um you know coca-cola's taking resumes you know so it's a supply chain job it's in charlotte i don't know what, what your job situation is like you know what i mean going out of school but do you want to interview i can send them your resume and i was like all right like let me just interview and see where it goes right i don't got no other prospects so let me see what's up I interviewed with Coca-Cola and ended up smashing the interview, bro. I blew it out the water, you know what I mean? And um, they ended up giving me like a signing bonus and all of this. So I'm like, bro, I can't not take this money. And, you know, I've been going back to the crib. Like my mama was already pressuring me and stuff. Like, you know, you can't just you know sit around and do nothing, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And this was right before graduation, literally six weeks before graduation. I had no job prospects. So I had this crazy resume, all this experience. And I didn't do you know, after that internship, you know, I sit in them cubicles, man, down in South Carolina, it really showed me that corporate America wasn't going to be for me. Yeah. Like, it just didn't feel right. You know what I mean? Especially all the other experiences I was having. I was like, this ain't this ain't me. But, you know, this job came. You know, my mom was hounding me. And um, I was like, you know what? You know, cool. I'll take the job. So I took the job. Um, and uh, I was working in supply chain uh, at Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola yeah. Coca Coca Bottling Company Consolidated. And I did that for a year and a half. But I was very intentional about spending my money and investing myself, investing in myself. So I upgraded my camera. I bought some more lenses. I bought a backdrop and I bought some lighting. And I was turned like me at my first apartment. Me and my homie, uh, my homie Derek is. We didn't even have no, no furniture in that first apartment. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I just basically turned the living room into a studio. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Set up the lights and set up the backdrop all in the living room for real. And um, you know that 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 uh that fall uh, was it the fall or was it the no, it was April. So April of 2014 is when I started my first company, The Featherbed. Um, so I started that, and that was photo and video services. That's when I got my first LLC. What's going on, guys? I just wanted to come up here real quick and say thank you to those that have been continuing to listen to the Black Wolf Media Podcast. I really appreciate you. You have no idea. But I do need your help. If you guys find value in the content that is being produced, I need you to share this with your friends, your family, your neighbors, and your coworkers. It, it doesn't matter. Also, on whatever platform you guys are listening to, leave comments and give me a star rating. Let me know what you dislike. Let me know what you did like. And also, you can you guys can even suggest what you guys want me to talk about on some of my future episodes. Again, guys, like I said, I want to add more value, but I do need your help to grow this show. Now, let's get back into this episode. Peace. First tax EIN, got my first business bank account, made it like as legit as possible, you know what I'm saying, and did all of that. And, um, you know, I was st also, uh, I started DaveHasWings.com. I started like branding myself around the city, 
tapping into the creative scene, showing love to people's events. Um, DaveHasWings.com at that time was like a blog. And I would basically like find people's flyers on Twitter and I would like post them to my to my you know blog and then I would like tweet the link back out, you know what I mean, and write like a little something, something about it. And then if they, you know, if the homies responded well to it, then I would pull up to the event and I would take photos for free and then post those to my blog and do like event recaps. And like, because I was showing so much love in the scene, people just started, you know, reciprocating that. They was yeah. like, oh, they have wings, he's a photographer, he's killing it, he's, you know, showing what's going on in Charlotte, blah, 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 blah. And at that time, I don't think, you know, nobody would have really taken the time to really build their own website for real. They were just, you know, people was kind of still posting the Tumblr and stuff, but nobody was like, yo, he got a website. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. So it was one of those type of things. I was just going to shows. Um, I was making I was making merch. I started making my first hats. Um, I put out a, a book. So I did all of this while I was still working at Coca Cola, and while I had that extra income, you know what I mean. And that, um, you know, just was making that bread. Yeah. And I started investing in myself and my brand. From there, um, I decided, like again, that corporate America wasn't going to be for me. I felt like I was getting drained every day being in the office. Yeah. And um, you know, I uh, my girl friend at the time you know she told me like yo like you know you got enough ambition and you got what you need to quit your job like you should quit your job and like just figure it out you know what i'm saying and yeah. you know, take the time to do it you know while you got time and everybody once i told everybody coca-cola i was leaving i was the same telling what i was doing i was like i'm gonna go full time with this and i started this company back in april this was december you know what i'm saying or october at that time and um you know they were like you know it's good that you're doing it while you're young at this time i'm like 23 they're like go for it you know what i mean everybody's encouraging me to go for it That's what's and it was a Again, just like blessed situations, man, like taking care of stuff and showing up. Like I had gave put in my two weeks notice with the with Coca-Cola in October. Yeah. But because I had, you know, because I had done what I was supposed to do while I was there, they asked they asked me basically to stay on to December so they could recruit and hire. And there was a lot of acquisitions going on territory wise. So they were like, hey, you know, if you can just maintain until the end of the year, you can just kind of collect the check and just, you know, come in, do the bare minimum, you know, make sure don't nothing slip and go home and just stay till the end of December. So December 31st, 2014 was my last day in corporate America. Yeah. And I started working retail and I went full time into doing work with the feather bed. So I'm a, I am guess I'll pause there. Um, Cause that's how, that was my first transition. It's yeah. another kind of back half of my career that's more recent that led into Hugh House, but I'll pause cause I know I've been talking a lot. <laughs> nah, hey, look, look, right. man, you good, you good, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so, man, what, it, what was it like to take that jump you know what I'm saying? And the first time you took that job, man, what kind, what type of thoughts were going through your mind? Um, it was scary, bro. I ain't gonna hold you. It was scary. Um, I had been, like I said, I got that first apartment that lease had came to an end, so I moved back into my mom's crib. Yeah. At that time, you know, I was dating somebody. You know, um, they were staying at my mom's crib. It was just a lot of pressure. It was a lot yeah. going on. The bread wasn't consistent. You know, what I mean, I'm working at the mall and also taking like freelance photography gigs. Um, you know, you don't know what you're doing. You, you, you feeling into the dark, trying to figure it out and trying to take what you can and piece it together. And nobody at that time, you know, from my family really saw the vision for what I was going for. And I didn't honestly even know what I was doing, bro. It was just like, I, I know that I have these skills, but I got to figure out how to apply them and how to build structure around it and how to get consistent clientele and how to scale up. And I'm doing all of that on top of that, only being, you know, 24, 25 years old. Um, and not to mention that I had made, you know, not the best financial decisions trying to get, trying to keep, you know, trying to thinking I would force myself to stay at my job. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So like I done bought a Beamer, you know what I'm saying? I got all these shoes and clothes, you know what I'm saying? I got all this stuff, you know what I mean? And nowhere to really put it. You know what I mean? There's just yeah. a lot going on. So it was a lot of pressure, bro. It was, it was, it was nerve wracking. It was nerve wracking for real, for real. 
Um, but you know, again, like you get that positive affirmation from people, you go out on the scene and people are recognizing you, they respect the work. You know, people are buying hats. It ain't, it ain't really paying my bills, but they buying hats. You know what I'm saying? And like, I'm building relationships with people that I'm working at retail and I'm working next to the brands and within some spaces around brands that I valued and around culture that I value. So it felt good and it felt like I was doing the right thing sometimes, but there was also, you know, those dark days of being like, bro, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm scared, I'm confused. Um, you know, I don't know even know what step to, step to do next, but I'm gonna just stay on the path. So, you know, you, I was throwing pop-up shops and just trying to sell clothes and trying to get people to hire me, to, you know, to take photos. And, you know, it was just a process, bro. I was trying to drop, do a pop-up shop a couple times a year just to get, you know, just to, to continue to brand myself and continue to expand, you know, my knowledge and um, my network. Yeah. So, so you know, being that you were out there, man, you were, you know, was, you were being doubtful um, or you were experiencing doubt and, and you had all these emotions going on. Was there ever a time where you just said, man, I'm done? Like, did you ever come across that thought? And if you did, you know, how were you able to not you know, fall into that and keep going. Yeah, man, I never really, I never really felt like I was going to quit doing what I was doing. Yeah. I felt like there was always waves. And I had, again, like support is like super, uh, super, super important. And I had a really strong support system at the time. And not necessarily from like people cheering me on in my corner, but I know that like, if I needed to, my mom would always let me have a roof over my head, which is a blessing that not a lot of people can say, right? So I recognize the privilege in that and I'm appreciative of that. And, um, you know, my girlfriend at the time was super, super supportive and encouraging me and letting me know, like, yeah, Yo, you got it. Like, I see how people respond to you. You can do it. Um, and then there's the again, like there was these like smaller successes of people tapping into what I was doing. It just wasn't as big as it needed to be to support what I needed at that point in time. Um, so there was a lot of partnership, you know what I mean? That went into a lot of partnership and support that went into those early days. And um, that kind of helped, helped me keep my confidence up during those times. Um, but so I never knew, I, I knew I wasn't gonna stop ever because I knew I was on the right path for me. Um, but to get out of those slumps, bro, you just focus on the work. Yeah. At least that's what I did. I just kept my head down and kept like, you know, I was just, you know, I started to reframe my mindset a lot during that time. You know what I mean? I started to listen to more podcasts and look at interviews and, just keep myself motivated and looking for for just to learn more about creative business man it was like it was you know i would spend a lot of time on youtube it was before like podcasting got super big so i spent a lot of time on youtube i was watching a lot of videos i was reading books you know what i mean really just trying to figure this thing out and figure out like you know i mean i was starting to network with people i was getting into different spaces um and eventually you know my time in retail combined with my time um you know, doing entrepreneurial things and my uh, and, and and you know everything I had built from a brand perspective, it paid off when I landed my my job at the Whitaker Group, and um, that was kind of a turning point. Um, you know what I mean? And I, I built up my first my first time working for them. I built up the e-commerce team and uh, started from scratch as a product photographer and built that entire business unit out. You know, was able to help you know get that make a seven figure revenue stream. You know what I'm saying from nothing. And I went in there by myself. And by the time I left in a year, year and a half, I, had, I was managing like seven to 10 people. You know what I mean? On that, on that e-commerce team. So um, that was my first time too. like, I got an opportunity to apply a lot of the stuff that I was learning in a specific yeah. context and build, building out a business unit for somebody else's business 
was super, super instrumental in me being able to see some of the fundamentals. And it was just putting your head down and doing the work. And I basically treated, you know, that business like it was my own. You know what I'm saying? And got as much out of it as I could. Learned about managing people, managing teams. And working with resources will teach you a lot. You know what I mean? Versus like having to garner your own resources and then, you know, work, then trying to work from there. It's different when you got to produce the revenue versus like, you know, you got to set, you know, budget to be able to kind of work with. And the then at that point, you're managing things. You're starting to build systems and process. So I was able to learn a lot from that early experience, you know, building out that first business unit for the Whitaker Group um, and, and leverage all, everything that I had learned up, up until that point. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So uh, with everything that you with everything that you were able to apply in that business and especially with what's going on now and speaking of creative, um, we're in a new space now. We're in, you know, Web point three zero. Um, so, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that, and how are you entering into this space? Yeah, so I mean, Web three point zero is um, a very interesting kind of space. Um, you know, as you think about, uh, you know, blockchain technology being a part of that, and just what democratization means for creatives. Um, it is, um, I like to preface it by saying like, it's another tool that's being created for creators to be able to use, or it's another tool that has been developed for creators to be able to use. A lot of times people are jumping on the bandwagon on like a, you gotta be all the way in or you gotta be all the way out. Like people are like, you know what I mean? Oh, everybody needs to have an NFT if you're a creative thing. Make it, it's like, bro, everybody, you know what I'm saying? Doesn't wanna do that. And that's yeah. cool. Like it's another tool, it's another opportunity. You know what I mean? And it's, it's going, it's going, you know, it's super early for this technology yeah. and how it gets integrated with business. And, and um, you know, I think it's just another opportunity, another tool for, for people to be able to use with Web3 and NFTs to be able to push their platforms, brand themselves. Um, it honestly helps you have your own distribution and keeps you vertical so that you can, you know, see all of the benefits. It cuts out a lot of middlemen if you want to learn how to leverage the technology appropriately. Uh, I'm entering the space through a program called Open Court. Um, where I'm helping, well, essentially it's a, it's a exhibition and a series of a series of exhibitions and a artist residency um, where we're helping black artists explore the blockchain and NFTs. So um, that'll become rolling out this summer. Um, we got the first cohort together. So you'll see the first exhibition come out this summer. And I'm super excited about that. Um, it's a fully funded program. I got a grant from the Knight Foundation to get it done. And um, it's dope to not only be helping um, you know, black artists enter the space, but to be able to pay them to do it is another thing. And to work with amazing partners like One Off, um, which is a black uh, uh, collective that's or company focused on, um, you know, black artists and black collectors getting on the blockchain and they provide a lot of onboarding materials. So I'm, I'm excited about it, man. I think it's another opportunity for us to learn how the technology works and then be able to apply it to your practice. Um, and you don't have to be all the way in or all the way out. But it's important to understand what's happening so you can figure out how you can leverage it moving forward. Yeah, that that's fire, man. That's fire that you said that because in the you know in the blockchain space, me personally, I don't see a lot of black creatives getting getting love in the NFT space. So I think that's dope mm -hmm. that y'all are doing that. Um, and, and so, man, I wanna I wanna you know throw out a statement to you, um, black people. Are, are an essential piece of the puzzle. Um, talk to us about that and like what that means. Man, so um, 
that means that phrase means a, a lot to me just because it's from a piece or from a series of pieces I did for, you know, an exhibition called Home at the end of 2020 um, at Elder Gallery here in Charlotte. And uh, that phrase represents um, our contributions to everything that has been built, you know what I mean, across society and existence for real. Like there is um, nothing that has been created for real <laughs> to a certain degree that you can't really point back to, you know, black culture or black people having influence on. Um, and, you know, even if you just look at where the cradle of civilization is, where life started, you know what I mean? Um, you know, the first kingdoms, you know what I mean? Like all of that stuff is a testament. And, you know, not everybody knows that history. Not everybody accepts that history. Um, but at the same time, like it, to me, that just it shows uh, or that statement is an embodiment of that. It's that, you know, these things don't exist, um, you know, without us and they wouldn't be as dope and they wouldn't thrive without us. You know what I mean? Whether it is from a consumer perspective or whether it is because, you know, our technology and thoughts and ideas have been stolen and repackaged. Um, you know, we are we are the ones that contribute to all of that and have made all of that happen. And it's, it's a statement that really, um, you know, embodies that and shows that. And it's something that I, um, you know, wholeheartedly believe. Um, so, you know, tell us about, man, you know, like what you're trying to do in the environment as far as like social issues. Um, because I know like you're heavily involved in the community, um, something you've always been. Uh, doing um so talk to us about like what kind of things you're passionate about when it comes to social issues or just what's going on in your environment and, and where you're from yeah for sure so um this is when we can kind of you know cue hue house and how we built the business you know what i mean in the block um it would be a good time to to, to bring that up so yeah. Um, you know, I worked at the Whitaker Group for a while. I did, um, you know, from 2016 to 2018 at the Whitaker, I mean, to 2017 at the Whitaker Group. 2018, I freelanced and did a lot of stuff in the art space and really started to form, be in a lot of formal art spaces. I got my first museum job um, role there. Excuse me. Um, I co-curated an exhibition um, and did exhibition design for an exhibit called Welcome to Brook Hill at the Gantt Center here in Charlotte. And, um, you know, I worked at the, I worked on a, a project called Home CLT at the Levine Museum. So that's when I, 2018 was when I established myself, you know, in the fine art space. And um, a lot of community connection came out of that because of the types of projects that I worked on. And, um, you know, I went back and worked at the Whitaker Group for another year, was really entrenched in communities across the country, helping build up the second business unit that I helped build for them, which was their community arm and, and established their nonprofit. And it really got, helped me see um, you know, the plight of black creatives across the country. You know what I mean? I was already very tapped in and entrenched in Charlotte's creative community, but I would go to Atlanta and I would, you know, see a lot of the, a lot of creatives dealing with the same issues in Atlanta that we was dealing with in Charlotte. I would go to Houston and I would have the same conversation in Houston that I had in Atlanta. I would go to Tampa and I would have the same conversation to see the same things that happened in the Tampa that I would see there. So, um, you know, I started to see that, you know, you know, black creatives are dealing with the same types of issues across the board. So seeing all of this and um, coming home and seeing the things that we were dealing with, obviously we had, um, uh, you know, the, the death of Keith Lamont Scott. We had another uh, gentleman 
Um, my, his name is uh, it's slipping my mind, but he was uh, shot on Beatty's Fort Road at the Burger King and Q. So we had a lot of police shootings involving black men during that time that were kind of high profile. And, um, you know, the city was, you know, there was a lot of energy here, man. There was a lot of people trying to figure out what to do. And, um, you know, I didn't, you know, protesting this is not really, you know, my thing. I didn't go out there and take no protest photos or nothing like that. But I'm thinking, like, how can we build something that's going to allow for us to have a stronghold and have, you know, a space that's built just for us, you know what I mean? And specifically for creative people and creative black people. So I, at that time, I was talking to my, we, we started to see some of the gaps that were happening and funding for arts for black artists here in Charlotte. Like there's a lot of every city. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, some artists may not know this, some creators may not know this, but every city has funds that are, they're required to give out for arts and culture. Um, every city has an arts commission, you know what I mean? An arts council, somebody that has a budget and has programming that they have to, you know, create grants for artists and creators to be able to do work in their city. So, um, so, you know, if you're in a city, no matter what city you're in, look that up, look up like, you know, whatever city type in city name, Arts Commission or, you know, Arts Guild or whatever, um, or, you know, City Arts, whatever. Um, and you'll start to see that there's an organization that's responsible for giving out those types of grants. Yeah. And we were experiencing the fact that, you know, a lot of black creatives in Charlotte weren't receiving those grants or didn't know about these entities that were responsible for giving out these funds. So, you know, um, me and my business partners were at the time, you know, we were just kind of meeting up and talking about it. We were like, so what are we going to do about it? Like, how are we going how are we going to approach it? Do we need to start a nonprofit? Do we need to start a brand? Do we just want to do a campaign? Do we need to start a business together? Like what we need to do? We were talking about the issues and just talking about the gaps. And then I got the opportunity to write for Charlotte Magazine um, because there was a uh, there was a, a tax coming on the ballot. So is the quarter cent sales tax for arts, parks, and education. Yeah. And essentially they were gonna take our county sales tax from 7.25% um, to 7.5%. And that 2.5% increase on sales taxes, when you go to the store, you buy something from the grocery store yeah. or whatever, it's got like a sales tax on it. So that extra 2.5% on sales tax was going to produce um, upwards of $50 million to go towards you know, arts, parks, yeah. and, um, you know, education, most of it going to the arts. And it was supposed to be distributed through an organization called the Arts and Science Council, which is Charlotte's, um, you know, which was Charlotte's like primary art, um, you know, commission at the time. And, uh, you know, we with that being a part of the public conversation and me having been so vocal before and having been on podcasts and showed up in meetings and, you know, really creating space for you know, people who were look like me and into the things that I was into and trying to figure out like, why don't we have access to these funds? Yeah. Um, the editor from Charlotte Magazine, the digital editor at the time, or the art, he was either the arts editor or digital editor. He's the publisher now. Um, shout, out to, shout out to Andy Smith. Um, he reached out to me and was like, yo, you know, you want to write an article about this? You know what I mean? Because I went on a Twitter rant about it, essentially. I was like, yo, this is, you know, what I don't, you know, this is what I don't like. This is what I'm not seeing. This is what needs to happen, blah, 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 blah. So he was like, yo, if you can take that Twitter thread and make it an essay, I'll publish mm -hmm. it. And I was like, okay, bet. So I did that. And then he was like, yo, I want to give you a column leading up until the vote um, because that sales tax needed to be voted on to be made official by the public. So um, I was like, okay, cool. But I was like, I don't want to amplify my own voice during this time because I'm only one person and there's power in numbers. Yeah. And I knew that I had been talking to my business partners for over a year about what we wanted to do. So I went back to the group and I said, 
the time is now. I got the opportunity to speak to Charlotte to the Charlotte magazine. Um, their, their audience is mainly like uh, mostly white, more affluent, like mainstream Charlotte audience. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, yo, we're going about to speak to the consciousness of the city right now. Like, I'm not trying to use this opportunity just for myself to amplify my own voice. If we're going to do something, we got to do it right now. So we founded Hugh House. We filled out the LLC. Everybody got their money together. We, st- we got a op- we got with a lawyer, got to operate an agreement. And we've j- basically just launched and positioned ourselves as like a for-profit like marketing solution for like the larger cultural sector, whether it's the Arts and Science Council or, you know, any of these other museums and foundations and people that are responsible for making arts and culture happen. We position ourselves as an agency to be able to help them connect with community in a more authentic way. So instead of me writing four articles leading up to it with my own opinion, we we, we did four Hugh House videos and launched ourselves as a company off the back of that opportunity. And we was like, we were like, yo, like this is the, we made a video on like the gap that we saw that existed, the audience that we felt like needed to be funded, how we were gonna help fund it. Like we did, you know, a different video on each of those subjects and we rolled one out each week leading up to the vote. So while everybody was thinking about arts and parks and, 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 um, and um, education, we were also inserting ourselves as a company into that conversation, you know what I mean? And representing our community at the same time. So um, that's how we kind of landed our first clients was, you know, through that campaign and through that rollout. And then um, from there, we were like, uh, you know, there's a need for us to be able to create space for black artists to have these conversations, to share information. Um, During the formation of the company and during that rollout, one of the things that we did was we hosted an event that gave um, specifically for black creatives to talk about the sales tax and to talk about, um, you know, what that could mean and what the Arts and Science Council was and just giving them a space for for information. So we had 50, 60, you know, creatives show up just off the strength of us posting one flyer. You know what I mean? And saying like, yo, we're gonna have a meeting in a week. You know what I mean? Like pull up. So we got to a local coffee shop, we had that meeting and we were like, yo, this is something that needs to happen consistently. So we created the block because we also knew that like every movement has a voice. Like when you look at like the Black Panther Party or when you look at, shoot, look at anything in America, like um, every, every, regime every movement has to have its own propaganda you got to have something that's telling your narrative giving the story from your perspective and you also got to have space to be able to commune so we created the block for that so it started off as a monthly event and then we eventually created the publication and now it exists as a 501c3 pending nonprofit um, that allows for us to give a lot of the business intangibles to black creatives um, if they don't have them and help them polish their skills tell their stories affirm them and those who build like really strong relationships with us we're then able to bring them into the for-profit work that we do on the agency side so that's how the agency and the nonprofit are related it's like we got this space where we're building up an army of creatives an army of creative business owners and entrepreneurs and you know when we have opportunity we're then able to bring people into that into the work that we're doing as a creative agency which has now expanded beyond the cultural sector into a number of different clients in different industries so that's how Q House came together and that's also you know we we consider that to be a social enterprise model so we took the social issues that we thought were important to us and infused it into a business model that allows for us to create revenue um, and allows for us to create opportunity for folks who look like us and that are into the things that we're into and we built our entire business off of that for the last two and a half years wow that's a lot that is that's a lot I mean that's you know what I'm saying that's that's what I'm talking about like 
you guys were able to take your minds, come together, and create opportunities for other people as well as for yourselves. And then on top of that, like, I mean, you you guys are to the point where, you know, you got the whole city behind you, the whole city of creators behind you, and, and probably in other cities as well. And so this is a movement that, you know, from my personal standpoint, it, it's definitely going to grow and you guys are going to have everybody behind you. So I think that's dope. I appreciate man. it, man. Yeah, that's Thank dope. Thank you, bro. Thank you. Um, but yeah, man, um, that, that's that's really all the questions I have, man. Um, my last question would be, um, how could people, you know, get in touch with you, you know, um, whether it be through email, social media? Yeah, man, I'm, uh, I'm Dave Has Wings on everything, man. Dave underscore has wings on everything. So that's D-A-V-E underscore H-A-S-W-I-N-G-Z. Um, so yeah, just hit me up in the DMs or whatever. Shoot me a message, shoot me a comment. Um, yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm available. I'm always answering questions and doing what I can to, um, you know, provide some of those business intangibles to creatives and, and just talk business and entrepreneurship in general, man. And, um, uh, yeah, that's where you can, that's where you can get at me at. That's Twitter, Instagram, all that. All right, guys, well, there you have it. Um, again, I had David J. Butler. Um, Dave, man, if you don't mind, can you go ahead and like close this out? Yeah, bro. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, thank you, man. Y'all stay blessed. Uh, work hard. Uh, just know that like everything starts with your mindset and staying determined. And, um, you know, if you're in a dark spot, just know that there's, you know, just stay focused on the work. But doing doing work and getting reps is the one thing that's going to be able to carry you over. Um, and then once you get to the point where you're super proficient, it's all about mindset, taking care of people, good relationships. So do that, man. Work hard at your craft. Get really proficient at your craft and then do right by people. And you can't go wrong. Eventually, everything is going to connect. You know what I mean? Just stay persistent at that, um, especially for those who are in the grind right now. Once you start, once you get past that, it's a di- kind of a different ball game. We could talk about some different stuff, but those are the two intangibles, man, that you got to have. You got to be super proficient and super good at what you do. And you got to take care of people and look out for people, man. That's it. So do that and be blessed, man. Thank y'all. Thank you, man. All right, guys. Hey, man, we close it out. That's it. Hope you guys were able to take some notes and, you know, learn some gems from David J. Butler, man. Again, I'm your host, Idrin Evans, and we out here. y'all that's the end of the episode if you don't mind do me a little favor and share this with a friend a family member neighbor or co-worker if you got some value from this thank you for listening and be sure to tune into the next episode peace